maybe just shy of an instant classic, but either way, a phenomenal game. Penn State and Ohio State goes down to just, just shy of the wire. 33-24 Penn State. Uh, some costly turnovers down the stretch by Sean Clifford result in points for Ohio State, and that is essentially the margin of defeat, 33-24. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, here on the BWI Live post-game show. Make sure you like the uh, video so that we can get more people here and we can talk for a while about Penn State football as they drop their third game in a month. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. With me, Tom Hannafin. He is of the Pater Podcast. We are here breaking down Penn State and Ohio State. Tom, good evening. I know as our resident Penn State fan, uh, this is not the most upset you've been, but another tough loss for Penn State football. How are you feeling right now? I just want to check in with you before we start, see how you're doing. Yeah, I think the expectations were very low going into this game because of the performance, obviously, against Illinois and how terrible that loss was. And uh, admittedly, coming into this game, I I looked at some of the odds makers and like the spread of 19, the over under of 61. There's just something in my gut and I think a lot of Penn State fans that it's like that just doesn't feel like that's going to be the story of this game. And um, ironically, those were both correct if you uh, bet the under, but for Penn State to cover the spread, that is. So it. my biggest takeaway, T. Frank, is just I don't know what this team's identity is. Week in, week out, Yeah, I described it on my own podcast as Jekyll and Hyde. And the best examples thus far of that are this Ohio State game, the Illinois game, and then victories against Auburn and Wisconsin. Yeah. Is that you've seen the absolute basement with the Illinois game, and now you see it's like this is a team that at one point, like we were like, yeah, this is the number four team in the country, and people were like, they could be in the playoff. This makes sense. Yep. Quality win at Wisconsin, quality win against Auburn, who just beat Ole Miss, by the way. Yep. Um, I don't know what this team is, and I think that was kind of the reason that the game played out the way it did today is because you could tell Ohio State underestimated Penn State. based on what they did against Illinois, and you could tell they were visibly frustrated, the coaching staff and the players, that they're like, why is Penn State still in this game? So I just walk away more flabbergasted and confused uh, than angry about the loss. In fact, they played Ohio State extraordinarily well uh, for the most part, and then the turnovers are what killed you in the end. Yeah, and and a couple of those. This team is Sean Clifford. So the, this team's identity is Sean Clifford. W- without any semblance of a running game, this team lives and dies on the arm of number 14. And tonight, for the majority of that game, it was 22-34 for 305 yard, or, uh, 361 yards. Sorry, I was looking at C.J. Stroud. Amazingly similar lines tonight, but no. 35 of 52, 361 yards, and a touchdown. It's that, it was that even the fumble was one thing. But the last interception is what killed them. And it was with pressure because they had to throw the ball 52 times. And for all of you in the chat that have been uh, banging on the door of, you know, my castle here of the running game doesn't matter. We are at a point where the running game does matter. This is this is this is historically bad. This Mm -hmm. is beyond uh, the pale when it comes to what you're expecting of your running game. I, I I heard in the chat a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, I forget who it was, but somebody said, I can't believe we, meaning Penn State, are becoming Mississippi State, being Mike Leach. And there's, at first, I, I kind of like, 
not really, but yeah. Like, this offensive line cannot run block. They did... This was their best day run blocking. This is one Mm -hmm. of their best days where they're able to create yardage and the third down situation was good for Penn State. That's why they had so many plays. They had 394 yards in this game. And... um, 33 of those were rushing between John Lovett and Noah Kane. Uh, throw in another nine for Kevon Lee. So they, they, they almost got to 50 yards total. It's always tough because I'm usually, I can look over and look at the number, but I'm trying to do the math of all the sacks being eliminated from yeah. the rushing yards. And I, I can't do all the, I can't do that. Math. I guess 44 yards rushing is what they would have if that was not taken away. So 44 yards rushing on the night. And they still pushed Ohio State to the brink where they had a chance to win late before the last interception. I want to get to some of the questions in the chat. And of course, if you want to uh, throw your questions in there, we'd love to hear them and we'd love to get your thought on this game. David, one of our regulars, comes in and he says, I feel like this game was a couple terrible calls and some drop penalties, drop some penalties away from being a big Penn State win. Do you feel that way, Tom? Uh, I'm with people on the snap infraction thing, and then I was like, I don't think I've ever heard that, or maybe I have, but it's just such a rare it's, penalty. Whipple was a weird game. A snap infraction is when you snap the ball, but you don't snap it. Like when you when you jar the ball or you half snap it, that's a snap infraction. What he did is he fully snapped the ball, yeah. and they blew the play dead. <laughs> I, I mean, again... Oh, this is the state of refereeing in sport, in 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 football, at least. Mm. Like there, there are not a lot of referees, and I thought tonight's crew was actually one of the better crews. Even on, I understand what they were doing with the uh, with the letting Jesse Lucchetta run seventy five yards for a touchdown, so they could talk yeah. about it, and they didn't have to blow the the play dead and get in trouble for doing that. I at least understand where that came from. But yeah, it was just that was that's not a snap infraction. Yeah, that that was odd. Um, uh, the penalty on John Lovett for going out of bounds. You could make the argument that he was pushed, but he really like the based on Did his he intent. He ran. No, yeah. it, in my opinion, he ran out of bounds, and he was hardly touched as he was escorted out of bounds in a direction he was already going. So people, obviously, I, I understand the frustration there. Um, yeah, I I agree that this was. Yes, were there some calls that were tricky? Yeah, and those always seem to happen. Like, not just because it's Ohio State, but those just are part of the game. Um, yeah. Yes, some costly drops that really bothered you, but guys like Dehan Dotson and Parker Washington really kept you in the game. Um, yep. DeAndre Lambert Smith is starting to come into his own. I really liked the options that were put out there for the tight ends in this game. And yes, there were some drops by that position, but at the yeah. same time, the way Strange and Theo Johnson really got involved and Tyler Warren, um, that's really encouraging. That's a yep. part of the offense that I was very interested in. And I find it funny that you mentioned, oh, is this team becoming Mike Leach, uh, you know, a Mike Leach style offense? That is exactly what I've been talking about on my own show is that at what point do you just start playing to the strengths of your personnel and not saying this is what we are? And that's the mark of great coaches. That's the mark of great teams when you understand what you have. Yeah. And when the play calling is 64% pass and 29, 29 runs for what, just barely under two yards of carry, like the writing's on the wall. What what are we doing after a while? With it's this? barely over one. <laughs> I mean, I, and again, with the sack yardage in there, it's it's 1.1 yards per carry. What One thing that I think was um, something that happened last week versus Illinois that didn't quite carry over into this game and 
except for the critically bad plays, was Sean Clifford held onto the ball. And I give him credit for being tough in the pocket, even though that was 50-50 in a game like tonight where he had to step into some throws and he sidearmed those. And then sometimes he stepped right into it and he delivered a ball. And, and to me, when you say Jekyll and Hyde, that's what it is. If they put the if they put it on his arm, sometimes he's not going to step into the throw. Sometimes he is going to 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 short arm it and try and get it out there. And and that's when those bad plays happened. But the uh, the holding onto the ball in the pocket and taking some sacks on the fumble, I I, I went back and looked at it a couple times. I, I I have to look it up to make sure. But I I'm fairly certain it was just man coverage, and he just he he double clutched the ball. Yeah. Against the against the blitz, and you know yeah. you can't do that. So that to me, there was a. It's a pretty simple thing for me today watching this game. Ohio State did not disguise their coverage a lot. They don't do that even now in this new defense that isn't the single high NFL style defense where they're playing press man coverage the entire time. They don't disguise a ton. They rotate their safeties up and down, but they don't do anything crazy like Indiana or Illinois did. And that was the kryptonite for Sean Clifford. They did it late in the game when there was no other option for Penn State, when they knew they were throwing the ball and they could do some things. And even then, Sean Clifford was able to move the ball at times, but it it, it came down to they couldn't get any big explosive plays. They had to dink and dunk their way. They didn't get in they didn't get that big touchdown to to push them over the top. Uh but Again, neither did Ohio State. It was an up-and-down game both ways. I felt Ohio State's game plan offensively was flawed. And even though yep. they, granted, they won the game, they left points on the field. This game could have been a 12-point margin and could have been in hand well earlier into the fourth quarter. It seemed like, and it was kind of something I touched on before, that this was a team that was playing out of emotion and reaction as opposed to game plan and calculation. And, and what I mean by that is, we all saw the Illinois game. We all knew it's like, hey, listen, if they line up with Travion Henderson and run the ball down our throats, we are screwed. And you saw what Travion is capable of. Yep. But they came yep. out early in the first quarter being like, it's the C.J. Stroud show. And I was yep. like, okay, I'm like, you do whatever you want. You're playing right into what Penn State's defense is okay with you doing. Yep. It just seemed like a flawed game plan and that Ohio State came out with something that they wanted to prove, that they wanted to really just plaster Penn State and and that just that, that that didn't feel like that type of victory for Ohio State like credit to them you win the ball game but like just some odd choices from Ohio yeah. State and and I want to I want to preface something I, I said a little bit ago um Sean Clifford because I, I think somebody made a good point uh James makes a good point here of uh when Clifford's healthy he's actually pretty good if Clifford True. has any sort of running game, like if, if if what we started the show with, if he's supported by a running game whatsoever, this game could have gone very differently. But just the circumstances and the situation of the offensive line pieces that you have, I had been saying for a while they need to try some parts and pieces other uh, you know and mix some things up a little bit. And one of the suggestions I said is, what happens if you put Bryce Effner at right tackle? And we found out what happened—a strip sack for a touchdown. So. Yeah. You know what I found wrong about some things here. You know what I found laughable and I'm curious what you think is um, the last two and a half minutes on that drive where it was like, okay, you know, it ultimately ends up in a, a stout missed field goal. That was a knuckleball. Yeah. Um, is that the first play from scrimmage is a play action pass. Now, I, I knew I, that was going to come up. I knew that was going to come up. I'll let I, you finish. I just, I thought it was laughable because I was like, 
who in their right mind on the Buckeyes defense is going to honor that? Give me a break. So it, the, conceptually, and they didn't do it again, which is important, but the first play of a drive in a two-minute situation, sometimes teams do run the ball first. They do run the ball to try and catch somebody off guard. Now, it was a fake-out to a fake-out in that sense, uh, and I understand the kind of eye roll about that, but this isn't fourth and nine against Ohio State in 2019 where Chase Young is bearing down and you're running the RPO footwork. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little different than that because it was the first play and they had run the ball to start almost every single drive. So there is a little bit of that baked in. But you're right. At that point, no one cares if you run the ball. We want you to run the ball. That's the mm-hmm. idea that the defense is giving you. So sure, go ahead and run. And, you know, it, it is at the... The, the fight that got them back into the game when they were down twice by 10 points is the same fight they were playing with at that point. But to me, it's like the game was over, you know, yeah. like it was realistically for all of us. It was over because they the probability of getting the touchdown and then and then getting the two point conversion, all that stuff. You've got to play out the string. But I guess to me, that particular drive, I kind of throw that out because what is it? You know, you're down nine at that point and and you've got to get that in two minutes and you haven't been able to punch one in in, you know, the majority of your drives. You got two touch, two or three touchdowns today. What was it? I think you're right. Three. Yeah, I'm blanking on exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I come back to what James said there in the super chat. The red zone defense for Penn State is phenomenal. I mean, yeah, you gave up 33 points, but honestly, it sure didn't feel like that. I'm sure Ohio State probably doesn't feel like they hung 33 points. And I, uh, how many yards of offense do they have? Like 490 something or whatever. Like it just Ohio didn't... State, they had 466 yeah. yards, 305 passing, 161 uh, rushing. So they mm-hmm. even without the 68 uh, yard touchdown, they would have gotten close to 100 yards rushing as well. Yeah. So like it just. Those are fantastic numbers on paper. It just did not feel like this gigantic margin of victory by any means. But the red zone defense for Penn State was fantastic. It seemed like against Illinois, they were trying to figure out who's going to fill the void from P.J. Mustafer, right? Yeah. It seemed like this week that they had a better idea of how to fill that void. Um, Derek Tangelo at least had a good half of football, three quarters. You could you could just tell he was running out of gas in the oh, fourth yeah. quarter. You understand yeah. it. And the entire defensive line was absolutely gassed. But what I was encouraged to see is that if Penn State wasn't getting uh, the offensive line backed up into the pocket or in behind the line of scrimmage, they were at least holding it and allowing second-level guys that are the strength of the defense, linebackers like Jacobs, Smith, and yep. Brooks, to make a ton of plays. Whereas against Illinois, they had to make those plays. They yep. weren't being designed that way. So this was light years better. It just seemed like the fatigue of the game eventually caught up to them in the end. I I was super surprised um, and, and very impressed by the the young defensive tackles for Penn State because yes. as bad as they were in the Illinois game, they were that good tonight. Because I Izzard, Devon Elise both had I thought very good games on the one long run by uh, Travion Henderson. Uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of. Ellie's had a chance at him, but really it came down to Brandon Smith jumped out of his his gap. Surprise. Uh, he thought he saw something. He broke to the outside, didn't stay in his gap, got reached, and then it was 68 yards for the races. So that, you know, I, I don't even think that was really on them. And you're right. By the time, even in those last minute situations where they're trying to get a stop, 
they gave up the third down conversion, but again, Ohio State had to really earn that. They had to go fake quarterback sneak, uh, fake jet. Uh, there was either a fake jet motion or something else, a part of that the late shift, and then they had to run to the outside because none of the holes were open. Whereas last week, it was plain and simple. Penn State couldn't stop the run because up front, those defensive tackles were not stopping anybody. And this is what I was saying this week is. I thought that was going to be a weakness, but even Penn State's defense is built to play in this game. This was a game about space, and Penn State was hanging on tooth and nail in the secondary, but for the most part, they did a good job there. Um, And that was, I I thought, really the story of the game is you had to put a lot on Joey Porter Jr., and you had to put a lot on on Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown and Treat Castro-Fields, and at least half of those players stepped up to the plate and made big plays and and they went toe-to-toe with those guys and that's one thing I thought after watching Joey Porter Jr. last year he was capable of and he you know the penalties aside I think you're fine with those right yeah he was just he's physical and he plays that way every single time he's going to get handsy with guys I think Therese uh, Tariq Castro Fields is a little bit more conservative in that but he likes to play tight um so you're you're happy with that Daquan Hardy continues to be fantastic the yep uh, to call him a backup corner is an insult. He's the third corner. He's the nickel corner. He is out. He could start anywhere in the country, it appears. So uh, Penn State's very fortunate. And then the way Tig Brown played, about as physical as we've seen Jaquan Brisker play in his time at Penn State. So it's like, I- I'm not saying that Tig is exactly like Brisker, but gosh, they seem like carbon copies of each other at this point, which has got to make you feel fantastic. So they they were really, really good most of the game. Yeah. I just... Am I the only one that finds it weird that Chris Olave is an afterthought all of a sudden? Like in that, he was good in the game, but also just in the Ohio State offense. Like it was Garrett Wilson City for the first yeah. half, and then like you know Olave gets his touchdown. But like for the most part, just kind of an afterthought. So I think Olave, and this is where this is tough because their whole offense is the deep threat. But I think of the two, when you're coming into this game and you know that Penn State's going to play coverage. Olave, I think, is their deep guy, and then more of the possession guy, the route runner, the guy who's mm-hmm. going to get those tough yards after the catch. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba, and that's Garrett Wilson. And then Olave gets the touchdown and and has the big play, but yeah, that was kind of an afterthought because they weren't able to get any of those deep shots. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, man, I... It's I feel bad for him because he's in these situations and he's just this close and then he misses the he misses the tackle. Smith and Jigba gets him a little bit on his heels on just a, a simple man concept. That was ugly. Yeah, and, and and somebody tweeted at me and they said, "What is wrong with his tackling?" I'm like, "It's not the tackling; it's the coverage that put him in a position to miss the tackle." And then Jair Brown doesn't doesn't get that play and and, and rally for the stop and really. It's it's the story of big plays in this game. And James Franklin talks about this all the time. Explosive plays and turnovers. And Penn State held their own in the explosive play category. Um, if we if we look at the big plays here, uh, Penn State had 240 yards passing on explosive plays. Do you know how, ma- how many Ohio State had? And I'm asking you a question you don't have the answer to. So, Do tell. 184. So Penn mm. State was the more explosive passing offense. There was 102 yards rushing on explosive plays. 21 for Penn State. And that's 10 or, 10 or more yards on uh, a one individual run. And mm. 68 of that came on one run for Ohio State. So uh, pick your favorite big play in the game. That was the turning point. Was it the fumble 
and the 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 fat man return, which always I, I assume Pensei fans are are not pleased that that's going to be on repeat for yeah. the next couple of weeks, right? Like you're going to have to see that Years. everywhere. That, they'll, they'll put that up there just because it's great that a big guy scored and good for him. But um, yeah, that was that was tough to watch. Do you think this is fair that Pensei just doesn't have the strength on the offensive line to play with Ohio State? I think that's pretty fair summation, right? Um, I would agree with that. That is a good defensive line. You've got some guys who are probably going to go in the first round, and like Haskell Garrett's really solid. They've just got depth all around. Their linebackers are outstanding. Um, they were fortunate the targeting call got um, was it Chambers bounced? I think Chambers. Yes, yeah, Steel Chambers, and, one of the greatest names great in name. this game. Right up there with Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was obvious, and it's something I remember listening to uh, a podcast by uh, Brandon Noble, and he was talking about how the recruiting strategy for Penn State offensive linemen is looking for long-armed pass protectors. And mm -hmm. he's like, that just inherently is not built to work against the run game or work for the run game, excuse me. Um, it hurts your leverage if you're getting gigantic guys with long arms. Okay, you're just not going to be the low man that wins. So it just seems like from its core, this offensive line is not set up to succeed in those games where it's trench warfare. Um, and it's not that Ohio State's fielding, you know, a Georgia-esque defensive line. No, but it's Ohio no. State. You respect yeah. the athletes they bring in. Uh, there's a lot that Penn State needs to correct in terms of recruiting strategy it seems like in terms of offensive linemen well uh that actually if you if you don't mind a, a selfish uh uh i know you love talking here. about offensive linemen yeah there's a lot of so phil troutwine has been recruiting a different breed of offensive linemen to come to penn state they are all bigger they are all meaner and they are guys that i look at and i go mm, maybe i wouldn't recruit that guy i think that's a good sign it, let me let me say this I like the uh, athletic pass blocking offensive lineman personally, like the uh, agile guy that maybe you could hit it right. And he becomes the complete player. Mm -hmm. These guys are on the other side of, we know they're really good run blockers. We know like what I'm trying to tell Penn state fans is help is coming, but it's going to be a little bit because they're all in high school currently. Um, or if they're JB Nelson in, in junior college, but they're taking the, algebra right now. <laughs> yes, they, they are. They, they're, the, it's changing up front. And if you want to check out T Frank's film room to see some of those guys that Penn state has committed in a class of 22 and 23, it it's just going to take a little bit of time. But yeah, that's the reality is that it, it's not even the length. It's just that they're small. Like juice Scruggs is three Oh five. Mike Miranda lost weight to be three 10, maybe at center. And, and Eric Wilson's three Oh five. None of these guys are big physical offensive linemen on the interior. And then the tackles, uh, they don't have any playoff of, and they're not playing well. So mm -hmm. the offensive line, this this is this is what they are. Like there's not a whole lot of improvement that's going to happen. It's just going to be this, and then how somebody else uh, responds to that. On the flip side, I thought Penn State, aside from the defensive tackles, the way they were lining up in the first half completely threw off Ohio State. That was a really good wrinkle by uh, by Brent Pry because what what teams have been doing to Penn State with the tight front with three guys inside the tackles, Penn State did that to Ohio State, which has a similar offense. So that shut down their running game in the first half and bought them some time to stay in the game. No, I thought the defense, uh, again, you knew coming into this game that Penn State's defense was going to be the reason that they hung around. And then, of course, Sean Clifford, what was he going to be able to do? The questions about Sean's health altogether. But defensively, you know, Sean, uh, James Franklin said it this week, and it was kind of a hollow victory that it's like, hey, we 
did give up 357 rushing yards to Illinois, but we only gave up 10 points in regulation. And it does make you think it's like, okay, like this is something they've consistently done this entire season. I talk about Jekyll and Hyde. That has been the one constant. So uh, you're encouraged to see what the defensive has done. Brent Pry continues to make adjustments, uh, which is very encouraging. Uh I want I want to bring up one point, and I know there's a great question in the super chat, and this is let me I'm throw it up here for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, I believe it was on uh, when Lovett went out of bounds, and James Franklin was trying to make the argument that he was pushed. Yeah. Um, clearly, when you saw the replay, he was grazed, and he intentionally went out of bounds. Yep. James Franklin then is on TV saying to the referee, "Quote: I want to challenge that." And then the referee says back to him, you cannot challenge that because everybody and their brother who watches FBS football knows that you cannot challenge a penalty. So does anybody else find it alarming that the head coach of the Nittany Lions tried to challenge that penalty? <sighs> On to the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not great. I'll leave that there. You know, and, and and yeah, yeah, it's not great. I, I think for everyone that uh, it's overblown how bad James Franklin is as a game day operator of the of the team. It's overblown, but there are legitimate criticisms. That's where I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to land on that because the idea that he is a great recruit, like this is another one of those fallacies, one of those like canned responses that we always have. And I see these on, on our videos and in and, and chats and all this stuff of like, we get this narrative and then we're, we're just stuck on it of like, he's a great recruiter, but not a great coach. Well, yes and no, because if he's a great recruiter, why does their offensive line struggle so badly? Mm-hmm. And if he's a uh, terrible game day coach, why do they win games? Like, why do they win games? I know we always point to the games that they lose, but why do they win games? They they make good decisions. The fourth down decisions, whether you like them or not, and a lot of people don't, that is your opinion on those situations. Uh, but I do want to get to this because that that is a conversation to me that goes nowhere because people have already decided whether or not they like James Franklin. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a conversation that I, I I was thinking about during the game for the bloggy friend of the show. Uh, any issue with fair catching every kickoff, even the ones that you could presumably field, if you're a three-touchdown dog, don't you want to take some shots? What do you think about trying to generate something out of special teams, which have been non-existent so far this season? I'll start with the, the punting game, because I understand the kickoff game is what the, the question is about. On the on the punting side, you've got Jahan Dotson back there. Clearly, every team that Penn State has played is like, we are not going to let Jahan get space. Yep, I, I can't remember one time this year that he's really had a ton of room. I think his longest return was, oh gosh, maybe 16 yards or something like that against Villanova. And, yeah. and you had that feeling, and nobody gives him any breathing room. He's only got one kickoff or punt return for a touchdown in his career. So that's a struggle on the, the punt return side. On the kickoff side, I understand it. John Lovett is standing at the 5 or the 10-yard line, and he's waving for a fair catch. I, I think this comes back to something that James Franklin has been saying for years here at Penn State is that he believes in the analytics of field position, and it comes back to something you touched on in terms of why is he going for it on fourth down when the ball is between the 40s. Well, it's because he believes that it's not necessarily 
uh, a risk if you do go for it because the loss of field position or the gain of field position is going to be negligible. I think he believes the exact same thing, that it's not worth it to field it inside the 10 because you could just fair catch it and get it 20 yards ahead of you potentially. I think that's just the mentality, and he is an analytics-based guy. He's said that a number of times. Yeah, and part of it too, and I don't know if this plays into it, but John Lovett is 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 fielding that kick. You don't have any running backs, so like he's back there to fair catch the ball because you don't want somebody to drop it. I don't know that there's if they had a guy that they could use, like I don't know Devin Ford who didn't didn't suit up in this game, or if in the past they had a guy back there like Saquon Barkley that's a legitimate threat to actually break those plays. I don't know that they have a guy that's a legitimate threat to break those plays. So I, if it if it was a, a superstar, you had a like you know Miles Sanders back there when he was a freshman or some really talented player, they just don't have that guy. John Lovett is not a, a game breaking player. So it's kind of back to where uh, who was it? Gerald Hodges that was fielding punts just because he could fair oh, catch it. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I, I think that's where we are with that. Truthfully. And you don't want, and you don't, you just don't want Jahan out there on kick returns because you just don't want to get him hurt. Uh, you know, there's less of a likelihood of that happening. I think because they realize that they're going to make sure that he fair catches a punt, whereas a kickoff return, there's just so much more space and a lot more can happen. I think yeah. so. You're trying to protect Jahan. I get that. Plus, he's uh, not a tackle breaker. Like on a kick no. return, you need to be able to break a tackle. That's more of a running back body type than Jahan, who is mm-hmm. who's a punt returner. He's he's a receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another another uh, chat here that I want to get in here because I think that this is an interesting conversation about is this good or bad? Because I think people decide that this is bad. Penn State is much better against spread than it is power and I formation teams. Illinois and Wisconsin as well as Auburn are a mismatch. Um, first off, do you agree with that? And is that an issue to you? I think I mean it, it again I come back to I don't know what this team's identity is with some of this stuff because sometimes they play great and sometimes they don't I yeah. I think I think the secondary is why you feel good about the uh, the matchup against the spread more than anything and yeah. then yes like the front 7 especially the front 4 gets really taxed against the power run so I guess I I do agree with it it's just not a you know a rock solid agreement um, the power run game I found again. I, I mentioned it earlier in this in this post game show. Is that I was just genuinely surprised to see how rare Ohio State bothered to go power to go under center yep. and use the eye backs or just use a single back because they used it when they punched in the the rushing touchdown. And I was like, that's all Illinois did. And yep. you guys could have been doing this the whole game and having a, probably more success. So yep. um, I, it it might be that I don't know. And and, and they have. Uh... I thought the broadcast did a great job of pointing out they have NFL-sized offensive linemen. When I was watching film earlier this week, I, I didn't, I couldn't point to a weakness and find it. And I understand like the 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 teams that they had played. They played Oregon without Kayvon Thibodeau, which makes that just another defensive line. Mm-hmm. And then they were playing teams in the Big Ten that you don't necessarily think of as like a challenge for an offensive line. And Penn State pushed them to their limit. That being said, all those guys are big, they're long, they're physical, they're fast. I was talking to Bill Rabinowitz, who covers uh, Ohio State for the Columbus Dispatch, and he said they have four tackles out there. So they're big, Mm -hmm. they're strong, and they're athletic. 
I can't believe that they didn't run the ball more too. They'd been running the ball a lot coming into this game. And part of it was to protect C.J. Stroud. And then in the game where you think you want to protect him the most against a team that's not going to give you the deep shots, not going to give you the easy, uh, you know, cover one man and then bring five. Penn State rarely did that in this game. You're going to not run the ball after what you saw the last two weeks. Yeah. I was shocked. I know we're kind of repeating ourselves there, but like that blew me away. And then when they did, what was even more surprising is that Penn State was was more than capable. And that's where I think where Larry here is is right is that Penn State they have smaller, quicker defensive tackles now that PJ Musfer is no longer playing. They don't have anybody with size, so they work better in space. And Ohio yeah. State works in space, so they had a better matchup. That football is a lot about matchup, so it's right. I think that's fair to say. But does it matter that you're like you should have beaten Illinois with a healthy quarterback? You should oh, have beaten yeah. Iowa with a healthy quarterback. You don't lose those games unless something went very wrong and something went very wrong. And this game is more of an indication of what they are as a football team. Like mm-hmm. if they had won those last two games and lost this one this way, Penn State fans would be over the moon. But oh, they yeah. lost their quarterback for six quarters and now he's back. It does worry you considering the way Michigan, Michigan State went down today. Those are two heavy hitting teams yes. that like to run the ball. Talking about power, those two are still on the schedule. Yep. Uh, Walker might win the Heisman after the effort that he put together today and, and looks like he's going to continue to do. So yep. that's a challenge. But, but do you feel better about the Penn State defense after today? And not just, and it can't just be entirely matchup driven because those guys played well up front, especially with, uh, of the two teams, neither have a good quarterback. Um, with McNamara yeah. or with Thorne. Thorne is very much the guy he's always been. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like Penn State matches up better than you would have thought after this game? Yes, um, and I think considering that you just played the number one offense in the country, and and yes, they got their stats, they got their yards. C.J. Stroud is still a redshirt freshman, and he, as much as he can be in the Heisman conversation, um, there's things with his accuracy there's issues where he gets rattled a little bit but he's still going to be an excellent quarterback and he's the system guy that you know the urban meyer system has been leaning on ever since alex smith at utah tim tebow and chris leak at florida and then so on and so forth name any ohio state quarterback it's the same carbon copy um so the defense really wasn't surprised by anything that they were getting out of the buckeyes and Again, they're the red zone defense. How many times was it just like, wow, they forced another fourth down? So if you're able to do that and frustrate, as you mentioned, those quarterbacks from Michigan, Michigan State, and also you've got Maryland to worry about, which beat you last year, and that is still a team you have to respect. Um, Rutgers, you feel confident about, but still, like this defense is going to be what's going to carry you. And then Sean Clifford, it it goes with him. That that's one and two. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think that there's there's really any way about that. The secondary, that that's the problem is that I I still think that there is some tentative weakness up front with teams that want to exploit it. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting down the stretch. Penn State, I, I does this? I don't want to say this because you know, like as somebody objectively looking at the game, of they played well, they just weren't good enough but they have lost three straight. Like, how should you feel about this team at this point? Like, what? I know we keep going back and forth on this, and you say, like, I don't know what this team's identity is, but should you feel optimistic about their ability to compete in these games down the stretch and, and win one or two of them? Or yes. hopefully yeah. for Penn State fans, more than one or two. 
No, this was uh, a confidence-inspiring loss, uh, a moral victory, as they like to, or moral, yeah, like that's about all you can really take away from this. It's not nearly as deflating as the Illinois game. Um, obviously, that was the bottom of the barrel. So this makes you feel like you can hang with people. It's just a question of can you get it together? Can you organize the turnovers? Is and this fair? Is this, is this fair? This comment from Phil. Franklin teams have been mundane. No big wins. Simply cannot motivate or inspire. Of the things James Franklin does, like maybe he doesn't motivate and inspire you, but I think based on the way his team played tonight, they were motivated and inspired. Like I I think that's a little off the mark. It's an immeasurable thing for the two of us sitting in our homes, I think. And there's so many things that the Penn State staff is really good about keeping in-house. So there's just some things that, unfortunately, we're not going to know. And I think that's why we all get so frustrated as Penn State fans of – Okay, something as simple as like, what is the injury? How is it that Sean Clifford looked like he was going to go down every other play against Illinois and then three days later was announced as 100% for the Ohio State game? And then he looked good. He looked like he was healthy. So it's like, how in the world did that happen? And there's just certain things we're not going to know. I agree, however, on the big win front. It's something that former Penn State quarterback Matt McGloin and myself have talked about on Pater is that outside of the 2016 Big Ten championship game, Yep. what have you done for me lately? <laughs> the the 2016 Ohio State game is... Uh, would you count the Fiesta Bowl in 2017 against Washington? Because that, <sighs> that was, a, that was a, another... It felt like it, it was a consolation. Yeah. And, yeah. and then not to say anything negative about that Washington team, but Penn State was favored, and that was Trace and Saquon at the height of their powers. That was yeah. an outstanding team that got snubbed. So I agree with you on the point about uh, the Ohio State game uh, victory that year. But that one was previously, so you're right, or that lost. you would say, what have you done for me lately would be correct because mm-hmm. that is that is the last time. And 2019, with a new starting quarterback, I think that is that that's an interesting time because clearly there was a dip after 2017 where Trace was playing football and there weren't the players around him that there were before. Sean Clifford and and I hate to always come back to this but the last 2 weeks to me have really told me what Sean Clifford is as a quarterback and this is the finished product is he is a good scrambler that can break down zones against teams that aren't disciplined. Uh he's actually played well in one from the pocket tonight. That mm-hmm. was one thing he did not do against Illinois. But if you give him a coverage that he, he he hasn't seen before, and if you hit him and rattle him, that's it. You know, like I think he's got a good ceiling as a quarterback that operates in a good environment. But once the environment erodes, there's he's not going to be a guy that elevates the team to those magical wins. He doesn't have that Trace McSorley vibe about him. Mm-hmm. So then it, it becomes playing out this, and then who's the next guy? Like to me, that's that is a part of this formula of James Franklin teams and not getting those big wins. They haven't had the better quarterback in a lot of these. And the the system is derived. The idea of this, this style of play is derived off having a good quarterback. Well, and the mold for James Franklin's quarterbacks has been identical since he was at Vanderbilt. If you look at the guys that were under center, they look and move and play just like Sean Clifford and just like Trace McSorley. And as much as we all love Trace, and Trace is arguably one of the best Penn State quarterbacks ever, um, you look at the guys that have been the guy at quarterback in college football, and the model that James Franklin rolls with ain't it. So it's just 
I don't know. I, I see a lot of people in the chat and a lot of people are frustrated with James Franklin overall. Um, I, I certainly agree that I'm somebody who from the jump with the guy was kind of like, okay, I don't know if I'm entirely sold on it, but, um, and then it does make you think, what if Sean comes back for, you know, his extra season of eligibility due to COVID? Um, now you have Drew Alar who's on his way. Like what's going on with Taquan Roberson, Christian Bayou, what's his potential? There, there's yeah. more questions than answers at that position. Yeah, and and it's not going to get any clearer, I don't think. And by the way, Henry, I did I did see your I didn't see your question. I did see you threw something in the chat. By the way, um, this was uh, Henry wants to say he had this score <laughs> for the game and told he was crazy. Henry, I was with you. By the way, I said that this was going to be a closer game than people were expecting. Um, and and Vegas was very much leaning into the idea that for the last six quarters, Penn State was bad. But you know, it, it, again, it comes back down to the idea that. Penn State is built to play this team better than a guy, than a team that they play once every second or third year from the Big Ten West with a new coaching staff and a and a wrinkle that they had not prepared for because they had never shown that on film ever. And not to go back to the Illinois game, but you know I watch the film uh, of all or as many of the games as I can before. Illinois never come out with that package. And by the way, it didn't work this week. It was a one-off one great idea that they had to take advantage of that particular team. And it skewed the perception of Penn State coming into this game. And it skewed the perception of... Uh, maybe it didn't, it didn't skew the perception of Illinois, did it? Like, we all knew that was a mirage. And still, it's a baffling outcome. How right. did the team that just you know, hung with Ohio state really did push them to the limit, do what they did against Illinois. I attended that game. I had no idea what I was looking at. That did not look anything like the team that we saw play the first 20 minutes against Iowa, the team that beat Auburn, the team that beat Wisconsin and looked like it was rolling potentially towards a college football playoff. Like that, that's the thing is this, this continues to be some head scratching situations. And then, for Ohio State, they clearly were underestimating Penn State, but then like their fans mm -hmm. at the end of the game are audibly chanting, not our rivals. Okay, why did you rush the field after beating a team ranked 15 spots lower than you that you were favored to beat by 19 points? <laughs> you know, I... I like, what by the way, water? was this the first time they've done the red out? The Scarlet Out, which the is Scarlet not catchy out. at all. And gee, I wonder where you came up with that idea. And also, did you do it against Michigan ever? I, I don't know. I, I don't by know. the way, I don't care. I just pointing at we're we're just pointing out truths here that mm -hmm. there has not been a Michigan game that's really mattered to Ohio State fans in a while, and this game decides big moments. This game typically decides the Big Ten East. Now, Ohio State can can clearly say we're not ever really worried about you winning this game because you haven't, but mm -hmm. we're not not worried about it. It's just, it's just hypocritical and, and just be straight up. I think Ohio state continues to be the standard bearer within the big 10. They have been for the last 15 to 20 years. And you sprinkle in Michigan there probably in the last 20 years, especially uh, dating back to the Lloyd Carr era. So it's just, yeah. Ohio State continues to, to be at the top there. So, um, and even with the victory today for Michigan State over Michigan, um, there, there, were, there was part of me looking at the end of the schedule here for the Big Ten, and I'm like, hmm, I'm like, I 
and then Iowa went down today. I was like, what is the Big Ten title game going to look like? And you can still reasonably say, you know what? Ohio State's probably going to be there and, and credit to them. But their so, fans. Yeah. <laughs> I want to two things. First off, UC Bearcat, somebody who uh, at least will acknowledge the fact that this is a game that matters to people. I don't yeah. I don't think Penn State fans want this to be a rivalry. Well, they do. They probably do. But like. Just acknowledge the fact that the game matters. Like, let, let's let not pretend like this game doesn't matter. So somebody that is uh, at least willing to do that. Uh, and by the way, just to clear something up. Uh, so first off, I want to thank everybody for donating to the channel with the Super Chats. Uh, the way it works is, uh, you know, I can see them in a special place and I have them up here in front of me. Uh, and, and I want to let, uh, who is it over here? Uh, Henry, no, we, we talked about what you brought up. You know, when I see it, we bring it up and I missed the one because you donated to the channel and then asked your question next, but I did get to your question. So if you do donate to the channel, I will get to the question and anything else that jumps out to me in the chat. I'm not just throwing up James Franklin sucks. We need a new coach. We're not go. We're not doing that. But if you have something that's interesting to talk about that, I can, I can see as I'm rolling through because we got a lot of people in here tonight. Thanks to everybody watching here on the BWI live post game show. Um, we, uh, we're going through your questions. We're talking about this game. One of the things, uh, and Henry, here you go, buddy. Here you go. We love you, Henry. We love you so much. We love you. There's a you're lot of really, stuff going on in the chat. So really if I missed guy. anything, I apologize. You're a really smart guy. I bet people like you and I bet that you're good at your job. I bet that the, your family loves you and, and misses you when you're gone. And, uh, you know, I think everything that you got going for you in life is really spectacular. You know what? I love you, and T. Frank really loves you. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> now everyone's saying that they're donating and not getting their question <laughs> answered. Are you guys not paying attention? Because we talked about we talked about your stuff. Uh, so anyway, um, one of the things that I think is progression for Penn State football, and, and again, is this something that Penn State fans care about? 11 of 18 on third down tonight. They were good on third down. They were better than Ohio State. Ohio State was 5 of 14. First off, do you believe that stat? And secondly, do you think it's going to continue? It's surprising, but honestly, you've come to expect that from this team, this defense at least. I mean, that I don't see one offense that's going to get fielded the rest of the year that's better than Ohio State. You're maybe going to see teams that run the ball better. So I find that to be encouraging. Is that an average that you can hang your hat on? It might fluctuate a little bit, yeah, but... Honestly, that's fantastic, and you kind of have that expectation at this point. And that not that insane to put the weight of the world on your defense like that? It, that just doesn't happen very often at the college ranks. It's, and, and granted, we see what Georgia's doing right now. They haven't given up 14 points to anybody. It's, it's ludicrous. Um, clearly, they're not, uh, Penn State's not quite there, but this is still the strength of the team. I don't see any reason why they can't do that the rest of the year. I, I would so that this is what we were seeing the the 11 of 18 is what we were seeing in the Iowa game so to me on the offensive side of things I think that there's there's a reality where that does continue now in specific games Aiden Hutchinson could break uh Sean Clifford in half and that would be mm -hmm. the end of that like there mm -hmm. are singularly great players out there that I think will will test Penn State and and what they did tonight in situations like that but this is what we were seeing from Sean Clifford and his development under uh Mike Yersich is that in these you got to dink and dunk you got to move the ball through some spot zone coverage down the field maybe get something in between the safeties or between the linebackers and safeties you're not going to get any of these deep posts over the middle with no one around anymore that that part of the offense is gone 
But we were seeing that in the in the Iowa game before he got hurt, and that picked up again tonight in this game. So I do think from a offensive perspective, if they can eke out those third and twos, which again, against Michigan and Michigan State, maybe you don't do it that way, but I do think that it is possible to continue. And then how many plays did Penn State run tonight? They ran a ton of plays tonight. Mm-hmm. I believe it was 52 passes and 29 runs. Yeah. They held on to the ball. They drove the ball. Let me let me look at their drive chart. This is always a good indicator. Um, so the fumble to start was bad. Then they had a 13-play drive. Then they had uh, three and out. Then they had a seven-play drive. Then they had two four-play drives. Then 10, then 12, and that's to end the half and start the third quarter. Then they had a four and out, and then the 11-play drive, and then the interception that sort of ended the game. So, I mean, they had four drives of 10-plus plays. Is that good or bad to you that they can't hit the explosive play to punch it in for a touchdown after six plays? Like not to put a number on it, but that they have to continue to work and work and work and work to get down the field. It just kind of seems like that is unfortunately the MO of the offense. And we only really saw the explosive game, uh, pl- explosive plays, excuse me, uh, in September. It's been a minute. It does seem like those dried up, whether that's these defenses just being prepared for what's on tape. But we really haven't seen that consistently in, in a minute. So, um, unfortunately, this might just be the way the offense is built. And especially with the running game being anemic. Um, I appreciated the effort to start the game, like really consistently running the ball. But also part of me was, you know, cringing a little bit that it's like, OK, so we're just going to start by falling on our faces uh, to get going here. So it's just I don't know. It, it, From Noah uh, Kane, no less. Right. From Noah Kane. Yeah, Noah, Noah continues to – it's just not been his year, but John Lovett continues to show you um, some good glimmers. Um, yeah. I was curious what you thought about the the goal line formation that they used for the Kevon Lee touchdown. Uh, they've used it a couple of times this year, and it's been effective. I like that because the way they have it set up is – and I, I think I have this right where you have um, – you have Brenton Strange in the middle. And then you got running backs on either side. So it's a balanced mm-hmm. formation. You can go either way. And both guys typically are big guys. Either it's Noah Kane or Kevon Lee. So you have realistically a good blocking formation going either way. The problem was before uh, in the, which game was it? I think it was the Indiana game. Nobody got a block. Like no, the, both oh, the big right. guys yeah. did yeah, not block their that. player, and then uh, Kevon Lee stood up at the goal line. So uh, I think it's a good formation. I think that their wrinkles down there are good, even all the way down to Jahan Dotson getting the snap in the um, in the Tyler Warren Wildcat. I didn't see that one coming. Like I figured that no, he that was, was going to throw out of that. That would be the uh, that'd be the wrinkle. But having again a lead blocker, and then I think it was Theo Johnson out front or Strange out front, where you've got two big guys blocking, and they did a better job blocking in space. They're still not doing great on the on the interior blocking or blocking in line, but they did a much better job blocking in space against Ohio State. And by the way, one of the things I did notice about the running game to bring that part up, Ohio State was run blitzing the entire third quarter yes like, so so they didn't care what the play was they were attacking the line of scrimmage and if they got pressure great if they got a tackle for loss great but they were not allowing anything to happen at the line of scrimmage so as much as it is you want to have it happen anyway if a team is determined to stop you from doing that that's something that this offense has not been able to counter so that's not a big surprise that once they once they were uh you know kind of decided that that was over it was over Oh, and Henry's gonna make a twenty thousand dollar donation. I think he's. I think he's messing with me now. 
$20,000. Oh, is that supposed to be what Franklin makes a day or something? <laughs> I don't know. He's just mad that we haven't talked about his Vegas pick, even though we stopped the show to talk about his stuff. So mm -hmm. if you want to uh, give us a super chat, great. If you're going to like guilt us into talking about your thing, mm. uh, even though we did. And we, love we, love we love Henry. We love Henry. Yeah. We love Henry, but I will not be held hostage. Uh, so what else from this game uh, or have you been thinking about we haven't touched on yet? Is there anything else you're thinking about that uh, going forward in the final couple of minutes we're here on the BWI Live post-game show? It's it's a very odd season, isn't it? In that, yep. you know, I remember in August, and you and I were speaking quite a bit at that point, just in terms of like, what what could this team really amount to be? And, you know, I said on my own podcast, I'm like, I think this could be an 8-4 and four team. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that. But even after this game, I'm like, okay, I'm like, you, you see what they can be, what their ultimate potential can be if a couple things bounce their way, you know, turnovers go away, et cetera. And then the Illinois game is still just like stuck in the back of your mind, just like how in the world did that, that happen? Um, I guess my question to you is offensively, do you just accept that the running game does not work? And you up that percentage in the passing game from like sixty four percent to like seventy five percent of the game. Yeah, if it were Patrick Mahomes, I'd be all on board. If it were if it were uh, Josh Allen, I'd be all on board. It's 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 Sean Clifford though. That's the problem because yep. it is working. I mean, they are competitive. They are in these games, but ultimately, they've fallen short. And, and that is the unfortunate thing. Got a couple more questions here. This mm. one is the most pressing of the night. Tom, what is your secret to being, a, being an international <laughs> sex symbol? I've, won, I've wondered that my entire life that I've known you. But uh, I think it's the shape of his head. He's got a great shaped head. <laughs> this is the funniest question ever. Uh, international, I think the only reason is because I worked for WWE for close to nine years and was fortunate to be on live global television screaming at the top of my lungs. So the other part, if that's your assessment, that's very nice of you, Peter. Uh, so we now love Henry and we love Peter. Thank you very much. And you got great hair, Tom. You have a I have gray hair. And <laughs> luckily, this fabulous backdrop to you know make you all feel... I don't know. You you assume whatever you want to assume. That's that's your prerogative. So debonair in your uh, in your uh, manner I'm a, I'm back there. <laughs> Brick I'm fireplace. Seeing, I'm seeing a lot of questions, um, and I I know you and I have talked about this before. Um, Drew Alar. Yeah. Is the hype real? So uh, a month ago, I would have said no because there's things he needs to work on. But the more I've watched him, the more he's worked on it. And, and I would credit, uh, you know, James Franklin talked about him it, as legally as he was allowed to because he can't comment on a player. But somebody asked him about a vague player and how he's become so good. Uh, he's so everything they talked about Sean Clifford tonight, where when he was off, it was because he wasn't stepping into his throws. The front foot of your quarterback is probably the most important part of your entire offense. If he is accurate and delivers the ball on time in rhythm and he plants his foot in the direction of the player he's throwing the ball to, he will be generally accurate as long as everything else on his body works. You know, his arm and everything's tied together. Mm -hmm. Drew Alar had a problem with that early in his, uh, I'd say last year specifically, and then this year he, he was working on it, but it was pretty ugly. So there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of overthrows, underthrows, missed throws. So those have cleaned up. He has been much more accurate down the stretch. And I haven't done a deep, deep dive on everything, but he is becoming that guy. 
and and it doesn't always have to be. So that's the thing, right? He there was a little bit of Christian Hackenberg there for me for a little bit, but he is much more than that. And from a cerebral standpoint, he's operating an offense where it's five wide between the twenties, so everything's mm-hmm. on him. He's reading the coverage, he's delivering the ball, he's having to make pre-snap decisions. So that's all good. Uh, to David's question, and then we got to get to Henry because uh, he, he's being very generous. He's being very generous, and he's being very frustrated. <laughs> so, uh, David, I think this is interesting because Penn State's young guys able to compete with Ohio State's guys. This is the part that's, I think, disappointing about how this team is constructed is because the strength of the team and the way you win big games is you have good coverage. Brisker's gone. After tonight, Joey Porter Jr. can go and be a first-round pick in the draft. Like, first or second. Like, he's he's phenomenally talented. That, that was the game I was expecting of him this year after watching the way he played against uh, Olave and Wilson last year where he was almost, everything was almost. And this year, he was there. So, if you lose those guys, and then Ebikidi's gone, Tangelo's gone, maybe Mustafer's gone depending on his draft stock and whether he wants to come back or not. So, on the defensive side of the ball, they're all gone. Dotson is gone. Uh, you've got a new quarterback. Then you've got the young guys, Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, the tight ends. But the offensive line, what's what's the situation there going forward? I don't... I, I think the moral victory is that they weren't blown out and embarrassed on national television, which everyone was expecting, and that this team, especially the offense and the defensive coordinators, are smart. So, like, True. they're 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 they have good plans, and despite what people are angry about, they... They, they, they have a good plan in most games. So I got to get to Henry. We'll bring this up again because Henry is uh, Hi, is it wants us to acknowledge the fact that he had Penn State winning twenty eight twenty seven, and he was told he was high. So mm. he wants you to know that he was right. I understand I just, that uh, feeling, by the way, Henry, because I've been saying that all day. Yeah, I I said it when we started off this uh this uh, this post game show is that the spread was nineteen, the over under was sixty one. I felt both of those to be odd, and that part of me was always thinking about the under. I thought it was going to be a lot more of a difference than it actually was with the final score being uh, thirty three to twenty four. So I was like, oh okay, they got pretty close to it, but the spread always felt odd to me. It just yeah. it was strength on strength in terms of you have the number one offense. Um, I think uh, Ohio State came in fifth in scoring, 49 points, and then Penn State was sixth yep. in points allowed and 14 points per game. And I was like, okay, they're going to meet in the middle somewhere with that. So that doesn't necessarily bode for Penn State getting blown out. Um, I appreciate the optimism. I think that was something that a lot of people needed. And again, it just keeps coming back to this team is just inconsistent. There's tons of potential. It's just chaining this all together. Yeah. And more competitive today than even in 2016-2017. Yeah, it's it's tough for me to agree with that because the the those Saquon Barkley Trace McSorley teams were just above and beyond, man. Those, those teams yeah. were great and and I understand the frustration of people is that yes, Franklin had begun to put his fingerprints on that team but had not completely. So there's now looking at this team and saying, "Oh, if that's comparable." It's like, "Yeah, but still Wildly inconsistent. That's yeah. the issue. So uh, the 2016-2017 team, to me, when you look at the way Joe Moorhead called the game, it was different than what Mike Yersich is. And Mike Yersich and what Sean Clifford is doing right now is Sean Clifford's playing quarterback. Like, he's playing 
Like these are he's doing things at an NFL style style. You know, not an NFL level, obviously, but he's having to do things at that level and operate from the pocket and play the position the way I think we're all familiar with. Joe Moorhead's system made it feel so different, and it made it feel frustrating at times, especially, don't forget, that team couldn't run the ball either. They also had a bad offensive line. They just had Saquon Barkley. If this team has Saquon Barkley, it's a very different story. And that's, I think, the disappointing thing about the Sean Clifford situation and everything with with his tenure at Penn State is the last two years have been so disjointed from the injuries of the running back. And there's fewer excuses this year. But like last year, not having Journey Brown, having everything kind of cave in around him. And this year, everything's put on his shoulders and he doesn't have any supporting cast from the running game. Yeah. So it he could have been the quarterback to elevate Penn State if the team was better. But ifs and ands, buts and words, it's it isn't to be. So then you got to kind of look to the future. And that's that's I mean, that's where I guess the rest of this season is be respectable and then recover for your hopes of being contending with the big time teams next year. Yeah, man. And just, I, I know you touched on it this a little off track, but what journey Brown could have been goodness. You, my yeah. heart went out for him when he had to uh, uh, step away from medical reasons, man, he was onto something special, just a really good kid too. just, ugh. That, that was one of the more difficult stories in the last five years of Penn state football. That was, that was tough. Here's a, here's a question that, and I want to end here pretty soon, but this mm. is one of those situations where everyone that is a Penn State fan is angry after losing those two games, because then if you lose this game, then you've lost three. But if you only lost this one, then you'd still be in the national championship contention. Is it time for Penn State to drop that expectation and be something different? Is that a question for the university or the fan base? I don't think the university is going to start saying, hey, it's all right if we do eight and four to 10 and two. Now, I understand you haven't seen a national championship since the 80s. And listen, I wasn't even alive then. So I'm hoping to see yeah. a national title before I die. That would be great. Um, I'm glad that my mother, who is a graduate, got to see a pair of national titles. So it's just. Very frustrating. I understand where Penn State fans are at, and it is extraordinarily difficult to get over the the hump because I, I see all these people in the chat and that they maybe want James Franklin to leave. So I dare to ask you, who is the replacement? Who is the next person out there that can really put this all together? Because of all the coaches in college football that can absolutely get the job done, it's Nick Saban. Uh, Ryan Day at least appears to be positioned well at Ohio State to continue what Urban Meyer and Jim Tressel have built. Yep. Um, Lincoln Riley, you feel positive at least about what he's able to cultivate out of his quarterbacks, and he recruits extraordinarily well. Um, Kirby Smart hasn't really proven that he can get over the hump to a national title. He's, he's on that, top of the hump right now. He's looking he's, good right now, but yep. Georgia has a tendency to slip in uh, yep. November, so it's just a question of can they finish. So my point being is that Let's say James Franklin is no longer with Penn State under whatever means next season. Uh, who's the next guy? Who's the guy that's better than James Franklin 
it, you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find somebody that is better as a recruiter and better as a coach overall. Um, I've seen a lot of people in there saying, "Just go sign Joe Moorhead, go get Bill O'Brien from uh, from Alabama, and call Larry Johnson Senior." And there's plenty of those ideas out there, and you just never know how these scenarios are actually going to happen in a boardroom. That's yeah, that's fine. Um, part of me is like, "All right, you got to be grateful with what you have right now," but in no way, shape, or form should the athletic department, the university, or the fan base be sitting there and being like, we're good with eight, four to 10 and two. Yeah. That's nice. We're filling the stadium. We're making boatloads of cash. I get that. No, this fan base demands a national title. Yeah. And so the, I think, okay. So the, the, there's a couple of different moving parts with this particular conversation. And it's something that uh, one of my colleagues, Nate Bauer, has done a lot of great work on. We've talked about on the BWI Daily Edition of there right now is a disconnect between what the fans want and what the fans expect, what James Franklin wants to deliver and what he wants from the from the university and what the university is currently willing to do in order to be competitive. And that right now is a part of the story and and fans don't want to hear that they want to look at what happens on the film and they want to watch their tv and say that guy sucks and they want to say that's the reason we're not losing that we're not winning that these big games and and people in the chat are talking about like it ohio state has unbelievably talented players every single year well how do you think they get those players it's not just by winning a couple of games 10 years ago and then just keeping the ball rolling they have a, they are far and ahead of everyone else in the Big Ten in facilities, in structure, in commitment to winning at football. And that is the part, and James Franklin has talked about this for five years now. He's talked about it vaguely. He's talked about it openly. He's talked about it in a bunch of different ways of you can't lose ground at any in any facet of your program or else you're going to be left in the dust. And right now, Penn State is competitive with these teams. And yes, they lost to Illinois as an ugly loss. That was probably the worst loss of James Franklin's tenure since 2016, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, and that happened this year. There's no way around that. But the reality of the situation is, if the university is not interested in doing that, that to me is the reason he's leaving. Not because he wants more money. And, and if you want him fired, if you want him to move on, then you want to hope that Penn State is fine with eight and four because that's the situation that's going to dictate change. So uh, let's let, let's end on something else. Let's end on literally anything else other than talk about that. Apparently my international sex symbol uh, status has been revoked because oh, I have no. anything positive to say about James Franklin. At all. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I didn't realize how delicate that status could come and go. That's a, that's a shame. Oh uh, man. Yeah. You know what I'm I am encouraged about is you know what next week Maryland feels like a winnable game especially what you put out there this week hopefully the, every last one of these guys heads back to state college and it's like hey you know what that was positive do that again and you'll beat Maryland and yeah. you will probably beat a team like Michigan if you duplicate that performance but it, that's a big if and again I I'm worried about the inconsistency but and I know it's a struggle we've talked to people in the chat here have talked about moral victories. This is the poster boy for a moral victory. Yep. And there is a lot of positive to take away from it. Now it's just up to them. What are you going to do with it?
Yep. Penn State pushes Ohio State to the limit. They lose 33-24 in a game that was, I hate saying things like this, closer than it appeared. But uh, Ohio State with a late touch, uh, late field goal gets it to 33. Penn State unable to um, uh, rally and match in the final five minutes with an interception by Sean Clifford. This is the BWI live postgame show. Tom Hannafin with me. He's the co-host of the Pater podcast. When can we hear you next on Pater? Mm-hmm. We have a new episode coming out Monday morning. We'll be breaking down this entire game. Myself and former Penn State quarterback Matt McGloin, we do new episodes every Monday and every Friday, reacting and previewing to all Penn State games. Do this again next week? What do you think? I would love to. I think we got to find out when kickoff is. But yeah. All right. We'll be back after the next game here on the BWLI postgame show. The BWI Daily Edition comes to you Monday morning and our live Monday recap show at noon on Mondays. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then.